At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Three, two, one. And today on the show, I have a coach, a life coach, a recovery coach, Krista Fee. Krista, thank you so much for being here. It's awesome being here. It is awesome. I, uh, I'm really glad that we're connecting. It's an interesting world, coaching. I've had a couple of other coaches, like an addictions coach on here. That was the Funky Brain podcast guy. And... Um, it's an interesting space. And another that I've had on here is doing it for the similar reason that you're doing it. You're working on your education to get your master's and probably PhD past that. And, but on the way, it's like, hey, I can do coaching before I get all these uh, extra certifications. And that's what makes it sort of an interesting space because I know people with none of that uh, and they're still doing and doing a good job of it doing coaching for for people so tell me about the difference between coaching and actual licensed therapist oh my goodness there is an extreme difference in that realm because coaches are unregulated at least in the united states Uh, apparently in europe there's some different regulations in place but the coaching sphere is completely unregulated so to call yourself a coach you literally don't have to have any certifications any education any qualifications or accountability whatsoever now of course if you're responsible you have all those things and you have insurance and cover all of your clients with HIPAA protections and all of those kind of things but most of the coaching industry actually has nothing to hold them accountable for what they do or say. So they can make any claims they want to in general about what they can do for you, which is a big thing for me. I'm actually kind of on a mission to change that because it drives me absolutely crazy. Are you going to take on (laughs) Tony Robbins? He's got some pretty tall claims. Oh my gosh, he does. And it seems like the everyone, the more popular you get, the easier it is to just say whatever you want to say and not have anyone question it. I think Tony Robbins says he invented the light bulb. <laughs> and most people would probably believe him. <laughs> they would. I, um, I, I struggle with guys like Tony. I mean, I have tremendous respect for what he does. I've been to one of his events. I felt all good about it. Um, but he has said some stuff that just ain't right. And I know it's not right. And, um, trivializing things like PTSD says, yeah, give me, give me 20 minutes with you and you're fixed. I'll use, uh, NLP on you and you're good. Well, right modality, wrong scope. Uh, yes, yes. NLP is very, very good. Good stuff. Um, but no, you're not fixing PTSD in 20 minutes. Wish you could. That'd be awesome. But no, you're not. And um, those types of over-the-top claims. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of uh, the psychology industry. I, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. And people get paid 
there's less money in fixing you than there is in just, hey, I'll see you again next week. I'll see you again next week. I'll see you again next week for a few years. So there's that. There's that conflict, which kind of restricts progress. But uh, so I, I acknowledge that, Mr. Tony Robbins, but you're not <laughs> fixing to- PTSD in 20 minutes and you're not fixing um, major trauma where you actually have neurological differences. Your brain is rewired. You're not fixing that in 20 minutes, you ding dong. Oh, I think you listened to my Facebook rant that I posted yesterday. Maybe we're just in synchronicity, I suppose. <laughs> I just had that conversation that it is tremendous to me. I, I was telling people that literally if someone tells you they can cure your PSD, if someone tells you that they can cure, treat, or in any other way alleviate your symptoms, 100% guaranteed they are 100% lying to you. First off, only you can do anything for yourself. You can get tools from other people. You can get resources from other people and you can learn from other people and you can get help, but you cannot get fixed by someone else. They're not going to fix you. But there are technologies that are coming out. Um, I would actually really encourage you to listen to episode 71, Krista, and and, uh, to anybody that's tuning into this one. On episode 71, I interviewed Dr. Pat O'Leary, and um, they've come up with a tech that actually isn't new. It's just the the way it's being presented is new with an app. Um, But it freaking works. I used it again last night. I've been suffering from nightmares for, well, since 1994, uh, since the war. And it's the only thing that helps. Well, actually, that's not true. Cannabis helps as well, but I'm going to be working up north shortly, and I can't have any cannabis in my system. Uh, so I was like, damn it, the one thing that worked <laughs> um, before I went to bed, but I can't do it, not even therapeutically. So uh, I needed something, and thank goodness I have this. It also helps with uh, anxiety, and all you do is, is it's an app on your phone. You have to be wearing headphones for it to work. Um, but the frequencies that it that it gives to you that's embedded in the music changes the frequencies that that your brain are, are is going off at. Instead of going in a toxic frequency that's no good for you, it gives you a different frequency, and your brain just follows the leader with uh, w- with the input. It's called entrainment therapy, but uh, the app is um, Meta Medical Solutions. Uh, MMS uh, is is the app, but anyway, it's it'll be in the show notes um, on episode seventy one. Just throwing that out there, so it's it's not a fix, but it's a pretty darn good and accessible and cheap, extremely cheap therapy. It's funny you mentioned that. That's the that is the first episode of your show that I actually listened to fully, and I contacted the company immediately because my. What I've discovered so far working with people is the most commonly useful, and I use, I have almost 50 certifications. I use a lot of different modalities with people, and the most commonly successful right out of the gate at at obtaining improvements is NLP, hypnotherapy, and brain state work. So when I do hypnotherapy with people, I don't just do basic hypnotherapy. I do it with brain state soundtracks playing in the background so that I can control the frequency of the brainwave, which allows 
to buy allows us to bypass that overactive amygdala response, which is so common in people who have PTSD. And how you were just talking about you have to heal the brain. Well, the amygdala is different. It's overactive. Thus, the frontal lobe is less active and less reactive in people who are struggling with PTSD. So if you can stabilize the brain activity and the, the neural act, the neural transmitting going on in the brain, then you can alleviate those symptoms without the person having to technically do something for themselves, but they do still have to do the practice and they do still have to use the equipment. But I feel like that company that you're talking about is definitely onto something that could completely change the face of treatment or at least of life quality. The first time I was introduced to it was actually in Edmonton. Oh, at least in the nineties at some time. Um, no, it was 2001. Um, and in 2001, I had stumbled across this company uh, who uses the same it's still in treatment therapy which is slightly different uh they would have uh you'd buy the kit from them for about 600 bucks and this little magic box and i still have it around here somewhere and uh it would be the headphones and the blinking lights and doing the same thing um it's still in treatment therapy alpha beta delta theta gamma for the different brain brain waves and doing it in an order that makes sense um it was without uh the background music was just boop, 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 but it works. It works like a hot dam. Uh, but I didn't know I had PTSD way back then. Um, I was using it for ADD, which sometimes gets misdiagnosed. Um, but that's what I was using it for, so that I, uh, for college and for reading and for studying. And it really did actually help. The interesting thing about entrainment therapy is that it's, um, it doesn't wear off like an aspirin. Uh, your brain gets used to sliding into that frequency and you do it for a while and it can actually just do it <laughs> when when need be and stay out of the bad frequencies and stay in the good frequencies. It's, um, it's, it's really neat stuff. But the tech, the tech has been around since the 60s, uh, just now streaming through your phone and you don't even have to be online. You download the, um, uh, while you have Wi-Fi, you set it on your playlist, and then you listen to it offline uh, wherever you are. So you can literally be driving your car and um, put one on for self-esteem or for breaking bad habits. Uh, It's all on there, and they freaking work. Uh, Theo Fleury is a NHL superstar and Olympic gold medalist, um, and he because of the episode I did, they got a hold of Theo, and now Theo is actually part of the company. Uh, he's been st- struggle, struggling through uh, for ever uh, since he's a child, and he's finding help and relief through the app. So it's a good thing, but it's still like anything. You actually have to do it. You got to actually get the app, then you actually got to use the damn thing. Uh, just like coaching, just like anything else, you actually have to do it. You have to take action. It's you can't just show up once and say that you're done. It's a it's a new habit that you have to have. Speaking of new habits, tell me about coaching and 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 making new habits. That's got to be a big part of it. Oh, behavior behavioral triggers, and I I don't like overusing the word trigger, but the the 
healing community uses trigger in this context. Um, behavioral triggers are a big deal. I mean, if you smoke, you know that you probably are going to smoke more when your friends are around or you're going to smoke more. If you go outside on a break, you're just going to, you're just going to smoke because that's what you do when you go outside on a break. So to break a habit, to create a new habit, you have to change your behavior. So definitely shaking things up in your life makes a huge difference. And noticing, I am more about noticing what things are causing reactions than coming at it from a place of the obvious. So you go outside to smoke. Why? Why do you go outside to smoke? What is that smoking doing for you? What is it? What reward are you looking for? You've created a habit, but what is at the root of that habit is probably something about you smoke because you feel anxious or you smoke because you feel something else. There's always a feeling underneath everything. So if you can change the the way you react to the feeling, then you can change the behavior. It's Pavlovian. Right. That's why I'm all about hypnotherapy and NLP and the subconscious mind, because we can try consciously to change our behaviors all day long. But the success rate of just trying to change your behaviors is not very high because we haven't changed the root cause of the behavior in the first place. We haven't changed what we want to get out of it. So if you can go into the subconscious and change what you want to get out of it or the belief that is not accurate about yourself, then you can completely change the driving force that makes you do those behaviors. So I'm kind of a underneath the habit person. It's huge. Your self-beliefs, that's really the driver for everything. There's... um a long-standing and long-accepted idea that you can only rise to your level of self-concept. If you think you're a 3 out of 10 in a particular category, then you're a 3 out of 10. You will act accordingly to your self-concept. If you think you're small potatoes, you'll act like small potatoes. Um, (laughs) I've heard people say things, well, it's the family curse, and they'll talk about that with... uh, poverty or good fortune it's the family curse oh shit well you just shot yourself in the foot by believing that i promise you it's not a family curse it's it's uh, it's group think and group behavior so you, you might have to get a different group sorry your family sucks but uh <laughs> that that's that's what it is you know there there are no family curses it's um you're just in the wrong group because we're all a product of our environment. People, if they understood how their brains work and what is happening on a daily basis, they would have so much more control and so much more power over everything that they do and experience. That just the simple concept of our attention and what we notice in our day, like what you're talking about, that limit limiting ourselves, it's so easy to do. The reticular activating system in your brain, you have 
billions, millions of things happening around you every second. There's so many things that you can see or focus on, but your brain is not capable of even, you can only process a couple hundred things a second. So your brain literally doesn't see most of what's happening around you. Your reality is completely different than the reality of the dude standing next to you and you're in the exact same environment. So what creates your reality? You create your reality. You tell your brain what things to focus on, what things are important to you, what things are your priorities. So if you establish for yourself that your day is going to suck, your day is going to absolutely suck. If you establish for yourself that a certain car, that you love a certain car, you're going to see that car all day long. Well, the old saying, uh, did you get up on the wrong side of the bed? There's actually something to that. Um, That's why it's so important to make your bed first thing in the morning. You start off on the right foot, right off the bat. As soon as you get up, make your bed and make it well and uh, spend a little extra time on personal grooming. It sets the course of the day. It It just does. Oh, absolutely. I'm an absolute believer in that. And I think the first time I heard that was actually Tony Robbins to, to come back to where you started this whole thing that I, in college, I heard a lecture and I'm pretty sure that it was Tony Robbins that literally said, if you want to be a successful person, the first thing that you have to do is make your bed. And I've always been obsessive about that. Anyway, I'm kind of a law and order person. So Like all my life I've been, everything has to be in its place. Everything has to be super orderly. That's how I keep my sanity. So that was not a big deal for me. But to make my bed consciously and with a sense of pride that everything was perfect about it, you know, set up the pretty throw pillows and all that other stuff. And then to follow through with everything else, to start the whole morning structured, orderly, and with the expectation that everything's going to go the right way, it makes so much difference. And then for like all of my coaching clients, it doesn't even matter what they are with me for. We always, always, always do a gratitude practice, which sounds kind of silly because everyone's heard it before. But the way I approach your gratitude practice is you have to always come up with at least three things. They can be things you are thankful for. Or you can go beyond that to things that you want to celebrate, things that you are so proud of yourself for achieving, or recognizing things that you want more of in your life. That's the most important one, I think, is saying, yes, I experienced this and I want more of that experience in my life. And then you drive your brain to be looking for ways to get more of that experience in your life. Well, I think that's how the law of attraction actually works. I don't think it's a mystical, magical thing like it's presented. Uh, like things will just, if you focus on something, it's just going to magically pop out of the ground. But uh, as you said earlier, you can only focus on a little bit at a time. There's so much going on. So if you're focused on the good, you're just naturally going to find more good. It's it's confirmation bias uh, in part. And if you're expecting good, that's what you're going to see because of confirmation bias. It's uh, not some magical manifestation thing. And maybe it is. I'm just missing out on it. But um, t- to me, it's just you can't suck and blow at the same time. 
So you can't be bitter and sad and grateful at the same time. You, you freaking can't. Your brain doesn't work like that. So take some time to to focus on gratitude, and that changes your brain frequencies right there. And if that's what you do first thing in the morning, that's not a bad idea. It is very, very healthy. Because uh, it, when you're making room for gratitude, you can't make room for the bad stuff. And uh, it's just the, the, the trick is, and as you said it, it's noticing. It's noticing that your head is in that wrong place, that you're in that dark hole. If you don't notice it, because that's just your comfort, your comfort spot and it's where you're used to being all the time, um, then that's why you need a coach <laughs> to, to, to point out. It's like, yeah, this thing that you think is normal, your stasis, your homeostasis here, that's, that's, that's not good. You don't have to be here. You don't have to feel like that. So let's, let's do something else. Let's focus on gratitude now, how does that feel? Yeah, you can choose that. And you can stay there in that space. Just got to make it a habit. And then you'll still slide back into the hole, just not as often and uh, not as deep. Absolutely, absolutely. I think you touched on one of the most important factors, though, is people have to want change. People have to see that their normal isn't desirable. Mm. And if they don't come to that place where they understand they have choice and they have control, then that's when there's no hope because a lot of people in this space are, they're riding the wave of a label or they're riding a wave of victimhood or they're riding just this belief that nothing will ever change. And from that state, from that condition of acceptance, nothing will ever change. If you accept that you're in a little box and that there's nothing that can be done about it and your quality of life can't change and that you're not responsible for your actions or you're not responsible for your emotions or thoughts or feelings, then you're on a downward spiral that doesn't often end well. So how do you get to that point of knowing that there's options, opportunities, and choice out there for you when nobody wants to talk about it, when nobody wants to discuss the issue just as being a part of our society? It's a huge part of our society, but how many people are out there talking about how are we going to handle and treat PTSD and other associated illnesses? Because as time progresses, we're realizing that PTSD isn't just PTSD, that it's literally a spectrum situation. And there are so many people that have been traumatized, like trauma injuries is a humongous category. It's what binds us all together. Because everybody, right. everybody has a story. Um, well, I can think of a couple of exceptions. People that have had a polyanna life and they don't even know it. But um, for the most part, <laughs> most of us have a story. And there's more people than, than most are aware of that have toe-curling stories of uh, just horrific things that they've experienced in their life. as the reason not to judge as well. Um <laughs> You know, because the root of all assholes is is usually a traumatic story. 
And um, you don't know what people have been through. You just don't. No. No. Oh, my gosh. And, like, the healing industry is full of people who are healers because of what they've experienced in their past. Like, they're healers because they know the journey. They're healers because they've been through horrific things. And a lot of us don't put it, a lot of us don't put it like right out in the public face. I'm kind of an exception to that rule because I feel like we need to talk about it. I feel like we need to recognize the president, the presence of the problems in our society that are creating these issues. So um, I kind of put my, my, I air my dirty laundry and, and I'm okay with it. Um, But it is, I mean, we, nobody chooses to jump into the dirty, ugly place of trying to pull people out of their darkness if they don't have their own darkness. I'm kind of stuck on that term now. Air my dirty laundry. You've heard, you, 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 you've, you've heard the term uh, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. If you air your dirty laundry, it cleans up. If you let other people see it, well, the sunlight that gives the chance, sunlight and the wind and maybe the rain a chance to clean it all up. That's that's um, my slogan now is recover out loud. It takes a lot of courage to recover out loud. I had one cop come up to me and go, "Hey, I heard about your podcast. Uh, just so you know, I I've been seeing a therapist and I I've been having some issues as well." You'll have to say it a little bit louder, buddy. <laughs> you know, it, don't 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 hide it. It's not a secret, and it's not a point of shame. Um, by airing your dirty laundry, so to speak, by recovering out loud, it gives others the courage to not whisper, to not hide, to not be ashamed. It's um, I was undiagnosed for like twenty two years. That's twenty two years of a train wreck. It's a long long time to suffer and to have those closest to you suffer right along with you that's a long time and it doesn't have to be like that if others were recovering out loud around me they'd be able to put their hand on my shoulder tell me a story that I, and uh so that i can go oh wait a second that sounds like me i wonder if i'm in that same boat well you might be mark i, th- I think we should we probably talk about that but if nobody's recovering out loud around me, then my self-awareness uh, uh, just won't be there. And we have people at the Operational Stress Injury Clinic coming in undiagnosed for 30 years, for 40 years. It's, um, that's why it's important to find the courage to recover out loud, to put your hand up. <laughs> you don't have to have a podcast like I do. <laughs> but... Um, uh, you don't even have to wear a shirt that says, ah, I'm recovering. Um, although I do have them. I was selling them. <laughs> but um, but letting those close to you know. Uh, so uh, what did you do today? Well, I had a couple hours of therapy. I'm sorry, what? Don't hide it. And if you get some stupid questions from it, like I did from one family member. So what did you talk about with your, with your therapist? They're like, what? 
<laughs> yeah, so you're going to get stupid questions every now and then. But um, don't be shy or embarrassed about whatever the form of help that, that you're taking, whether it be um, magic mushrooms or cannabis or whatever. Yep, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. And don't be shy about it. It gives others the courage to to step up and and seek help. That is absolutely why I'm on the mission that I'm on. I I struggle so hard with what I what I see because I, I have a degree in criminal justice and national security and I was working in investigations and on the human trafficking side of things and realized that our society does not allow for any weakness or any awareness that people in first responder positions, and by that I mean our police, our fire departments, our EMTs, and our military, they don't have the opportunity to be human. They don't have the opportunity to be flawed. The public places all of this expectation on them to be these proud warriors of perfection, and they experience the worst of the worst of the worst every minute of every single day. And if they talk about it, then they're showing weakness and that's not, that's not true. And that's not like, we have to, as a society, be able to accept that the people that are doing those positions need, need to express their emotions more. They need to be able to receive the support and help that they need to stay strong all the way throughout their entire career. Like it should just be known that if you're in that position, that you're, that you have some form of health, wellness, therapy, mental wellness work, like that should just go hand in hand and just be an obvious Thing for those people because people on the outside have no idea what no. is experienced in no. those roles and what toll that takes on the minds. No, we we suffer so that others don't have to. And and when people are hating on the cops or hating on the military, they don't understand that they're hating the people that are saving them from having to see things that they don't even know exist. And, um, and you're so right about everything you just said. I, I just, I feel a deep need to clarify the word weakness because weakness is the perception. It is not the reality. There is no such thing as somebody that is immune from a trauma injury. Uh, it, it is not a sign of weakness. That may be the perception and that perception, uh, perception over the last five years has done wonders in, changing but it is an actual injury and i say it in numerous episodes on this show that let's say somebody just got back from afghanistan and they left their legs back in the sandbox would you say to somebody with tooth prosthetic legs what why are your legs so weak like you just let a landmine shear off your legs do you have like a bone deficiency or something? Are you not taking your, your calcium? That's what it is. You had weak bones. I mean, if I had stepped on that landmine, no way it would have sheared off. I might have got a scratch, 
But that'd be about it. But God, you must have had some really... Do you have leprosy or something? Like, those legs just came right off like nothing. Nobody would do that. Nobody would do that. Because uh, nobody's that big of a douche. At least I hope not. But that's exactly what we do with um, traumatic brain injuries. And with um, uh, PTS, uh, OSIs, operational stress injuries. The operational stress injuries are the same thing. Your brain, the actual wiring in your brain that you can see with an MRI changes in an instant. And those changes rewire your normal healthy brain to be plugged into the amygdala, which is the lizard brain, freeze, um, uh, fight, flight, and freeze all the time. So your perception is now different. So everything you're at the dinner table and you don't know you're doing it, but your brain is in fight, flight, or freeze. That's why the irritability, the road rage, uh, the inability to regulate your emotions is because you're thinking with the little brain instead of the big brain. And you can't freaking help it without help, without guidance, without practice of things like gratitude in the morning like you were saying these are new habits that you have to have to get the new neural pathways going it's a neurological injury not a weakness and um uh, but thank god that understanding that perception is starting to change but we've got a long way to go we do i just was reading a report they're just now starting to do mri comparatives and they're just starting to publicize in a in a more like people outside of the psychology or neuropsychology industry will actually see some of these articles soon instead of just having them in the crazy journals that nobody reads um that what what you're describing the amygdala being completely in control if the amygdala is in control and it actually grows in size in people with trauma injuries. So it's not just overactive. It's literally like a muscle in your body that's getting bigger and stronger. So it's going to create a compound effect over time. The I, did, longer I, didn't know that it, I didn't know that it physically grew. Yeah, it can actually, it actually physically grows. And it takes all of the power away from your frontal lobe, which everyone knows that the frontal lobe is responsible. I mean, Serial killers have frontal lobe inactivity. So it takes your inhibitions and your temper, your ability to control your emotions and your ability to choose wisely. It takes away your, the way that you process information and think carefully. So the people that are having this happen, yes, they're going to be temperamental. Yes, they're going to lose control. Yes, they're going to make really bad purchasing decisions or just cheat on their wives without thinking about it because they no longer have any of those reservations, any of those controls activated. I think my, my amygdala must activated. be the size of a grapefruit. <laughs> so, I mean, the symptoms make sense. The symptoms are based on actual visible characteristics in the brain. So you've got to rework the brain if you want to, solve some of the symptoms. So the gratitude is a start and it's a great place to get going, but you also need to be conscious of that it is a deeper situation and that some brain 
reworking is in order, which is why those technologies are so amazing that are that are being used more widely because that's what they do is if you can get the amygdala to not be overreactive, then you can allow other parts of the brain to heal to start taking over the jobs that they're supposed to do. And when they're doing their job, those neural pathways get stronger and stronger and stronger. Whatever your brain is doing at any given time, those pathways are getting stronger and stronger in that area. So you can refocus the brain on that frontal lobe activity. And that's, that's what you want. You want to heal the brain and it's possible. I think this is the best conversation I've ever had in 79. I think this will be episode number 80, actually. And I think this is by far the best conversation I've had yet about what is the injury and and how it affects you and why it affects you the way um, it does. I'm having a great time, Krista. I'm so glad that to, to, to have you on today. I can see us doing this um, more than once, for sure. So... Why veterans and first responders for you? Wow. Um, I, am, I, I am a little broader than that. I do focus on victims of human trafficking and um, victims of domestic violence, but my heart is completely in. Uh, it started with the police department because that was where I was going and just working with those people and seeing what, what happens. And I, I volunteered in an emergency room for a year and just what comes in and how people react and then how people treat first responders. It just seemed like there was such a huge gap in understanding, such a huge gap in knowledge between the community and these people in serving positions. And I'm always going to be an advocate and a, and a fighter for people who either don't have the ability and capacities to speak for themselves or who don't feel like they should speak for themselves, who don't feel like it's their place to speak for themselves or who feel like it is better to suffer in silence than to be an imposition to society. Like, I think we should respect our warriors, we should respect those who do what they do to serve the community at large. And instead, our society is having a tendency to go towards less respect and less awareness and less desire to communicate. Um, And we're all in this together. Like, it's not us and them. It's, It's one big functioning unit. And if one part of our unit is suffering, then we're all suffering. So I feel like they're the forgotten. I feel like they're the, um, they're the ignored and I don't want it to be like that. It, it hurts my heart for it to be like that. The the hated, um, even yes. Hated by people that are largely jealous. I, um, I have this conversation with other members of the veteran community and my police friends. Um, it took me until I was in, I'm 50 years old now. Uh, I probably was well into my forties before I started to realize that one of the reasons that we are not, um, that we are railed against is because we have done things that others are, 
and this is not meant as an insult, but they're too scared to do. And that's okay. Like, I don't judge that. It's, it's fine. But when they meet somebody that is doing something or has done something that they are too scared to do, instead of, you have two choices at that point. You can either applaud the person doing it, which all the veteran supporters uh, do, or you can hate them. You can try to tear them down. Um, I, and I've, I noticed this when I wrote my first book and I published my first book and it did well and I won international literary awards. I was so shocked that that was happening, but I was happy about it. I'm like, and I was surprised. And, um, but those around me were crapping on it, shitting on the book trivializing it so anybody can just write a bag of garbage and publish it huh was said to me once um or as one family member well how many pages does it got oh so it's just a little book (laughs) yeah well i got a better way to make money let me tell you about my way and and people who don't feel great about themselves when they see somebody else shining uh it's crab bucket theory so, uh, are, are you familiar with the crab bucket story? No. It's my favorite. It's so true. And it took me into my 40s to realize the truth of it. So, man and his son are on the fishing boat out in the ocean bobbing about. And um, first time out with dad on the fishing boat. And dad puts uh, the bucket in the middle of the boat. With uh, After he pulls up the crab trap, puts the crabs in the, in the bucket and says, Son, your job today is to watch that crab bucket. Now, whatever you see, don't interfere with it. Just watch and study. Really, Dad? You want me to watch a bucket of crabs? Yeah, watch the bucket of crabs. Uh, And this is a very, very important job. So, all right, Dad. He's watching the bucket of crabs, and he notices that uh, there's um, out of the 15 crabs in the bucket, there's only one that's trying to get out. And he just about makes it. He gets the claw up on the edge, and he's starting to crawl out of the bucket. And just as he's about to get out of the bucket, the other crabs reach up, grab him, and pull him back into the bucket. So there's only one out of the 15 that's uh, got the wherewithal to get the hell out of that bucket because you go from the bucket to the pot on the stove. And intuitively, that crab knew that. He didn't want to be in the bucket with the rest of them. At, uh, but every time he tried to crawl out of the bucket, he'd get pulled back in. And that is one of the biggest metaphors for life that I can think of because you have to really, really choose your bucket. And you have to be in a bucket where the other crabs are pushing you out and cheering you on and hoping maybe that you throw them a rope. But um, uh, with people that are encouraging you, not pulling you down, but and every public speaker, Bob Proctor, all of them, all the uh, all the big ones will always tell you some version of the crab bucket theory. That when you start to shine, when you start to crawl out of a hole, those that are in the hole with you can either help you or they're going to get hurt by the idea that you're doing something and they're not. So they're going to try to pull you back in that hole. They're going to tell you that your dreams, that your ideas are stupid, that, you, um, that you're not worth it, that you're not good enough. And they're not doing it because they're evil. They're doing it because they are in pain. 
and they don't think that they're good enough to crawl out of that bucket. You have to cut those people out of your life. You absolutely have to. And um, how did I get on to, to, to this? Where did we start on this road, Krista? I don't know what started that, but it's a really good place to launch onto groups, support groups. Mm, beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Okay, what you just said, you have to surround yourself with people that support you and want to help you get out I am a member of a bunch of PTSD or likewise support groups. And I'm, I have been trying, struggling, trying to figure out a way to try to move the energy of some of those groups away from constantly rehashing what happened to you Mm -hmm. and comparing notes and not taking that anywhere else because it is so beneficial to talk about your situation, to talk about what went on with you and what you need to get out of you. But on that same note, the constant rehashing of that with no action taken to go past it is actually serving to continue the damage. It's actually serving to enrage the emotions. You're re-injuring yourself every time that you do that. Mm -hmm. So these support groups choose very carefully what you are surrounding yourself with. If you want to move forward, if you want a healing journey, if you want to find your way out of the darkness that you might be experiencing at this point in time, don't go into those groups and fall into that trap because you're just pulling each other down back into that bucket over and over and over again, and nobody's getting out. People are generally not aware that they are addicted to the victim mentality. And if you tell them they are, they'll get all mad at you. But it is a very easy addiction to happen. It's more easy than alcoholism to slide into. It sneaks up on you, and before you know it, you are welded to the identity of, I am an injured veteran. Because when I'm an injured veteran, I am special. And it means that I've seen some shit, which means I am receiving validation that I've seen some shit. And it feels good to be validated because validation is the number one human emotional need. It is extremely easy to fall into the victim mentality and to stay there. And that's the danger of the wrong peer support group. The right peer support group is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful modalities of healing that exist. And since we're talking about this, uh, uh, Krista, I'd like to give uh, a solution to you because I run a peer support group and uh, we run into this problem. So I've created a structure. Um, Is that okay if I share that with you? Oh, absolutely. Because it's for... Anybody listening that is running a peer support group as well or is participating in a peer support group. So you're 1,000% right, Krista. Um, too many of the groups, and people pop right out uh, as well. If, if the first group you ever go to, all it is is sharing the problem, sharing the problem, and there's no solution or resolution at the end, People go, well, what the hell was that all about? And they leave and they don't come back because they don't see the point of it if it's just uh, one great big sob session. And, I mean, sharing is important, but here's uh, uh, how I started. 
I started with uh, the the check-ins in the beginning, but the check-ins are structured. So I want to have a positive um, uh, spin. So as we're going around the room so that somebody doesn't go off for half an hour and, and suck all the air out of the room, um, uh, I, I write down on the whiteboard. All right. Let's start with um, what has gone well for me. So start with gratitude. So something that's gone well for me or something that I'm grateful for. Um, a win. Let's talk about a win that you've had uh, over the last two weeks since last we met. And um, then the second thing is let's talk about a struggle that you've had. The one that stands out for you. And then it's, uh, but it's all on the board and everybody's answering them one by one and it keeps it, keeps it tight and you're still sharing, but we're also uh, acknowledging the positive and acknowledging the wins. And then it goes around the room a lot, a lot quicker. Then we'll go into psych ed. We'll talk about the four agreements or um, the crab bucket or identity versus role theory or, or whatever the, the right um, uh, tool is. And then we'll do the takeaways. And after the takeaways of what, what did I get out of uh, today's lesson, out of today's conversation, what are you committed to doing? So if this was a takeaway, what is the commitment that you're willing to make? And if it wasn't about what we talked about today, this is the eighth time you've been here, we've covered a lot of shit. What are you willing to commit to? Are you willing to commit to listening to three episodes of Operation Tango Romeo between now and then? All you got to do is listen. That's easy. And it's positive. Are you going to commit to going to the gym five times between now and then over the next two weeks? What are you going to commit to for your healing, for yourself? And that's, so we're always focused on recovery. We're always focused on personal responsibility and we're, and everybody's hearing, well, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to commit to that. And it's the hardest part of the peer support group. It is the part that they like the least and it's the most important part. And then when you come back, so this is what you committed to. I wrote it down. I remember. How'd you do? And there's no judgment. There's no finger wagging. If they hit zero out of 10, all right, man, why? And what do you, let's make a more realistic commitment today then. All right, something that you can do. Any win is a good win. Make your bed once over the next two weeks. That's a win. What can you commit to that you know you can achieve? Let's make it realistic. Make it a smart goal. And um, and, and that is the broad strokes of, of how we do it with our peer support groups. And it is also the focus of Operation Tango Romeo. Like what actions are bite-sized that you can handle that you're willing to actually do. But you got to do something. Absolutely. That is, that is the cornerstone of my work also. Like nobody gets out of my door without actionable steps. And I can't give you your actionable steps. You choose your actionable steps. You use your language, what you want, your desires. You create your actionable steps and then you're more likely to do them. But yeah, nobody gets out without an actionable step because without action, nothing happens. Without action, nothing happens. 
Krista, we're going to have you back on. Uh, we're at uh, about 51 minutes, so I'm going to put a pin in it right here, sister. And how do people get a hold of you in Texas? I am on Facebook at, at Coach Krista Fee. I am on Instagram very actively at Sahara Rising, which is the business. And, of course, I have a webpage, sahararising.org. Why Sahara instead of Mojave? The, Mo- the Mojave is a lot closer to you than the Sahara. Oh, that is a long story. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you're on then. There's a story behind the name. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll cover it then. Uh, Krista, thank you for just a spectacular conversation. Uh, this is going to be published, I think, the second Thursday in January. And um, I'm looking forward to sharing it with as many people as possible. And for those listening... Um, Share, share like the sugar bear, because sharing is caring. Uh, the more you share episodes of this, the more you, you expose this show to your network, the more you are recovering out loud. It's all you got to do. You don't have to put up your hand and say, I've got symptoms and I'm in trouble and I'm all messed up and I'm going to therapy. You don't got to bleed all over the carpet. Just share a couple episodes of this. Let people know that you're listening to it. You don't have to tell people you're injured if you don't want to. If you're not there, that's fine. But have the courage to just share a few episodes of Tango Romeo. Share one a week would be better. And by doing so, you may have saved a life. If you don't believe me, go to operationtraumarecovery.org. That's operationtraumarecovery.org and read some of the testimonials that are scattered among the, the different pages there. People have actually told me that this has saved their life because it gave them hope. And that hope comes from you. It comes from my guests. It comes from the listeners. It doesn't come from me. It comes from them to hear the stories of healing and recovery and hope and the different modalities of healing because not everybody is ready for therapy. Maybe it's too invasive. It's too much. So a coach like Krista Fee is a great alternative. And maybe Krista is the stepping stone to a therapist, just like this podcast is a stepping stone to therapy. Do something instead of doing nothing. Do something that you can do. Pick, commit, and get your ass moving. Krista Fee, thank you so much for being on here, my friend. Thank you. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast.